NPR. circles, there is this concept called the peace dividend. The idea is that when wartime gives way to peacetime, all of this money gets freed up. A government can stop spending on tanks and fighter jets, and then it can redirect that money towards social services, housing, and other things on the domestic policy wish list. In the U.S., the last time a peace dividend seemed to be within grasp was after the end of the Cold War. Military spending fell during the 90s to below 3% of GDP. That is about half of what it was during the 1980s, when it was more like 6% of GDP. All of you know from personal experience how much American industry has been changed by the cutbacks in defense. In 1993, President Bill Clinton visited a Westinghouse electric factory in Maryland to talk about how military spending could be reinvested in the domestic economy. The soldier statesman Dwight Eisenhower once observed that the resourceful American makers of plowshares could with time and as required make swords as well. Our challenge is now to reverse the process. Yeah, but this process was a challenge and the peace dividend has eluded the U.S. economy ever since. This is The Indicator for Planet Money. I'm Adrian Ma. And I'm Waylon Wong. Today wraps up our series on the defense industry. On this show, if the peace dividend exists, how can it be used effectively? We talk to a researcher about how this process can work. And we look at how the state of California gave the peace dividend a chance after the Cold War. This message comes from NPR sponsor LiveRight, publishers of Left for Dead. Shipwreck, treachery, and survival at the edge of the world by Eric J. Dolan. The true story of five castaways abandoned on the Falkland Islands during the War of 1812. Available wherever books are sold. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at BetterHelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. In order to convert military dollars into peacetime dollars, policymakers need two things, spending cuts and a plan. That's according to Miriam Pemberton. She's an associate fellow at the Institute for Policy Studies, a progressive think tank. And she's been studying what's called peacetime economic conversion ever since the Berlin Wall came down. The first condition is you got to have those cuts in the Pentagon budget. (laughs) And the other condition is you really need to shift your industrial policy in the direction of the transition that you want to promote. And in the early 90s, when those big cuts to the U.S. military budget materialized, the Clinton administration did come up with a kind of plan to reinvest that money. And Miriam's think tank, the Institute for Policy Studies, said this was a lot, $81 billion. 
The government put over $15 billion into programs for job training for displaced defense workers and developing civilian uses for military technology. But this national conversion fell short of what advocates like Miriam wanted to see. What happened in the post-Cold War period was we had, you know, substantial defense cuts, but really insufficient focus on kind of big projects to take up the slack in the economy that's left when, you know, that's created by these defense cuts. Her think tank says most of the Clinton-era peace dividend went toward reducing the deficit, not spending on social needs or job creation. The group also says that the government fell short of its own spending goals. In other words, it really didn't have much of a plan. So, so is this concept of a peacetime economic conversion even possible? Well, Miriam says, yes, it is. And there's a very good example of it in California after the Cold War. Back then, California was the heart of the American aerospace industry. By one estimate, in the late 80s, California represented a quarter of all the aerospace jobs in the U.S. And a lot of these workers lived in the Los Angeles area. They worked at places like Lockheed Martin, which produced the first operational stealth aircraft at a facility in Burbank, California. Don Nakamoto worked for the union that represented the Lockheed machinists. Just about everybody you talked to in the city either was talking about Lockheed, knew about Lockheed, had family members or worked there themselves. Don started his job at the union in the late 1980s, when it seemed like the money from defense contracts would keep Lockheed workers steadily employed for years to come. Even back then, a machinist was making $25 an hour with a lot of benefits, and so... You know, $50,000 a year for a blue-collar job was pretty high and, you know, top of the industry. So uh, they were very well paid and um, rightfully so. But as the Cold War wound down, Lockheed started making cuts. That's step one in the peacetime conversion process. The company began relocating jobs from California to southern states like Georgia. And then in 1990, it closed its Burbank facility altogether. Don remembers around 9,000 Lockheed workers were losing their jobs in that period. And thousands more people at other aerospace companies got laid off, too. Don says the hollowing out of the aerospace industry put these displaced workers in a really tough spot. He remembers some of them taking minimum wage jobs in retail or fast food. They were in a, a situation where that was kind of a disadvantage to have such specialized skills. When they were employed, they were compensated really well. But then those skills don't translate to the normal workforce very well. Now for step two, a plan of how to spend the money that wasn't being spent on defense. These laid-off workers needed somewhere to land. And then the same year Lockheed closed its Burbank facility, the California state government adopted a new requirement for car companies to make zero-emission vehicles. One California congressman saw this mandate as an opportunity to jumpstart a brand new industry making electric cars. It would be a way to redirect spending from aerospace to green technology, and it would also provide job opportunities for displaced aerospace workers in this new kind of advanced manufacturing. A consortium came together consisting of public agencies, private companies, including aerospace contractors. The group secured funding from the federal and state governments, And in 1992, it set up shop right in Lockheed's old Burbank facility. The project was called CalStart. We had people that developed one of the first electric vehicles, one of the first um, navigation systems, and one of the first heated and cooled 
seats. Both Don and Miriam say that CalSTART's flagship project, the electric car, was ultimately a little too early for its time. It would take years before the EV really took off. But for Miriam, the California project demonstrates what can happen when military spending cuts are met with a decisive plan for how to adapt the economy. And the period just after the Cold War is basically the last time the peace dividend was really within grasp. After the attacks of September 11, 2001, American military spending started rising again. Today, with wars in Ukraine and the Middle East, the U.S. is spending more than ever on defense. That complicates the case for funding other battles that the Biden administration is waging, like the fight against climate change. Miriam told me that the urgency of the climate issue is maybe the strongest argument for shifting the economy away from military spending. Now I think of how long the U.S. was involved in Iraq and Afghanistan, and then now we have the war in Ukraine, we've got what's happening in the Middle East. We seem to be at this kind of forever war moment. How do you make the case for conversion during this moment? I would say the military increases in the budget as a whole do not have a strong rationale. And the other thing I would say is climate catastrophe is the greatest threat to our national security short of a nuclear exchange. There are things that can be cut, and those things need to be reinvested in preventing this climate catastrophe from coming to pass. This episode was produced by Cooper Katz McKim with engineering by James Willits. It was fact-checked by Angel Carreras and edited by Patty Hirsch. Kate Cannon is our editor, and The Indicator is a production of NPR. This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news, some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First every day. Listen every morning wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Humana. Your employees are more than your coworkers. They're the heartbeat of your business. That's why Humana offers modern group benefits designed to protect employees and their families with dental, vision, life, and disability coverage. Humana knows every employee and every business is unique. That's why they listen to your needs and build plans with you and your team in mind. That's the power of human care. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR.